Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 39, entitled, A Hairy Topic. Hello and welcome back to our midweek study. We're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. And I think you're going to find this very interesting. It's one of the more controversial passages in the New Testament. It's certainly in 1 Corinthians, although 1 Corinthians is loaded with controversy because the church was loaded with controversy. We've been seeing that. If you've been a part of us, if this is your first time with us, just welcome in. we just, again, taking the Bible as it's presented to us, expecting that God's going to speak because we know that when we open the Scriptures, that is God speaking. So uh, since that is true, and since we are, it's not our words, and it's not for us to interpret, in fact, they're, we don't sit in judgment on the Scriptures, they sit in judgment on us. So let's Let's take a few moments to pray here to, to allow, uh, open ourselves up for the judgment of God's word. Heavenly Father, we do want your word to judge us uh, because it will set us straight. It'll make us think right. It'll correct our deceptions. It will uh, remove from us or help us step around the barriers that are coming up that we can't otherwise see. So God, I pray that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds. And uh, thank you, God, that you called us, not just so that we can know stuff, but so that we can know you. And that's the end result of all this, God. We just want to know you, and, and we want to live for you. So bless the study now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, uh, we're going to get to that in just a minute. There was a large, uh, I mean, a language instructor who was explaining to her class the fact that Spanish and other Latin languages uh, have a uh, gender designation on all the nouns. Uh, it's either feminine or it is masculine. La for the feminine, L for the uh, masculine. La tierra, the land. Uh, el agua, the water. And so it has that, that um, flavor to it. Again, Latin languages are that way. As a student in the process of her explaining this, raised her hand and asked what the gender was. She says, what's the gender of a computer? in Spanish. And of course, the teacher knew the answer to that, but she says, I'm not going to tell you. She said, I've got an idea. Let's make this a class project. So I wanted, she divided them by gender, girls on this side, boys on that side. She said, here's what I want you to do. Girls, I want you to tell me, or tell the class, reasons why the computer needs to be in the masculine gender. And then same to the boys. She said, boys, I want you to tell me why the computer needs to be in the feminine gender. And she turned them loose. And the answers were amazing. Let me give you their answers. So girls went first. She gave them some time. And then they brought back their results. And here was their results. The girls made this argument. They said that the computer is to be of the masculine gender because like men, computers, store a lot of data but they are mostly clueless. That's pretty good. She said they, they went on to say masculine because like men, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. And then a the third reason. They said like men, this has to be the masculine gender, because like men, as soon as you commit to one of them, you realize had you waited a little longer, you could have gotten a better model. So hats off to the girls for that... Uh, rendition of why the computer needs to be in the masculine gender. Then it got the boys' turn, and they did a good job as well. The boys' argument was that the computer needs to be in the feminine gender because, like women, 
No one but their creator understands their internal logic. That's pretty good, I think, being a man. Needs to be in the feminine gender because women, like women, the language they use to communicate with others of their own kind is incomprehensible to everyone else. <laughs> Pretty good. Again, it needs to be of the feminine gender because, like women, even the smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later retrieval. And again... It's to be in the feminine gender. Here's their final answer. Because like women, as soon as you commit to one of them, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories. So, wow, hats off to these guys, uh, the L's and the laws and all that. And I start off with this little story. Because, a uh, little humor, because we're about to get into an otherwise very hairy subject. Uh, the whole subject of gender and, uh, in particular, gender roles. Uh, that's brought up here in 1 Corinthians. Again, we don't come up with these topics ourselves. We just let the Bible reveal them, and then we, we deal with them, and we go, get to the bottom of them. But even the conversation of gender, of course, in our, in our subject, in our situation, in our world today, is a very, very hairy subject. I mean, uh, the Bible doesn't shrink back, though. The Bible sits, I mean, stands to set us straight on whatever our thinking is, whether it's gender or gender roles. And so we're going to be looking at that. Anymore, it seems it's safer to bring up politics and religion. I mean, he used to say, don't, don't, in a group, never discuss politics and religion. Well, it's safer to bring up politics and religion in a group than it is to bring up the whole issue of especially gender roles. Oh, my goodness. Are you going to get uh, a rise in that situation? So today, we uh, have everything going on in our culture. Gender confusion, of course, there's, there's supposedly all kinds of different genders. We have all these movements, uh, women's movements like the now, the National Organization of Women, or WITCH. Have you ever heard of WITCH? W-I-T-C-H. It's the acronym for Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell Organization. Yeah, that's actually an acronym. Uh, and the uh, best I can tell, they, they sort of live up to that acronym. So, so what do we do? I mean, we, we live in a world that has been is in gender wars. Uh, there has been always, to a certain level, because of our sinful nature, these wars, these problems, these strains, these uh, uh, poor uh, handling of the roles of gender. Uh, uh, men have not been treated correctly. Women have not been treated correctly. Which one is correct? Well, neither are. Neither one are. I read of an old hillbilly that went into town with his wife, and they were stopping by this garage sale, and he picked up this picture frame with a picture in it, or he thought was a picture in it. It was actually a mirror. And he looked into the picture frame. He says, what do you know? There's a picture of my old pappy right before he passed away. And the wife said, I don't think that's what it is. Let me look at it. So she picked up the picture, she thought. Turned out it was actually a mirror, and she looked in it. She says, "Oh, that's not your old pappy. That's one of your ugly old girlfriends that you dated before you married me." Which one is right? Neither one. The only chance we have to settle a whole conflict is to disregard male and female opinions. You're going to ask the males what the right opinion is. You're not going to get the right answer. You ask the females what the right opinion is. You're not going to get the right answer. We got to go to God. And get God's opinion. The only way we females and males are going to be set straight is when we go back to God. And so we're going to consider that topic comes up here, even though it's not the direct topic, but it is, it is a topic that's brought up here in chapter 11. 
verse 2. Paul says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered to you. But I want you to understand, here's some of the traditions, actually some of the rules, and which imply some of the traditions. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and that the man is the head of the woman, in particular that the husband is the head of the wife, and that God is the head of Christ. So I want you to understand that. That's the biblical principles. It's not up to vote. It's not a matter of opinion. This is what the Bible teaches. Every man, here's the matter of opinion, the uh, beyond that application, if you will, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Hmm. Every woman who has her head covered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same with those who have had their head shaved. What is that? Keep reading. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her head, uh, her head, her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. What's he talking about? We're going to get to it. For a man ought to not have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now he's making a lot of assumptions here that you know what the Bible teaches about the roles and uh, uh, the situation, especially in marriage and what the relationship is. And maybe that's a bad assumption because. Uh, well, for you, it's a bad assumption because maybe you don't understand. Maybe it's for me also. Verse 8, for a man does not originate for a woman, but a woman comes from a man. Originally, Adam was created and a rib was taken from him. For indeed, man is not created for a woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to be, have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So we're going to throw the angels in there too, Paul. Come on. <laughs> What's he talking about? However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. They, they together make mankind. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Back to this cultural issue. Is it proper for a woman to pray uh, to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is dishonoring to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is a given for her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor the churches of God. So, what a seemingly complicated piece of Scripture, is it not? One of the more controversial passages of the New Testament, because people are not sure how to take it. First of all, some take it to be totally cultural, have no absolutely no application on us today, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. This part of the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. And so, so it doesn't apply to us today. Now, that's, i got a problem with that. Because, see, the, the problem is, is that, yeah, Paul writes this, and he was writing it to the Corinthian church, which was in the first century 2,000 years ago. But it's the Holy Spirit who inspires it. So, so the Holy Spirit just throws out certain sections that don't apply, that'll never apply to us under any circumstances have no application for us today, I find that highly unlikely, in fact, if not impossible. Here, here's, here's another problem I have. So, so we get to freely go around and decide what part of the Bible is applicable and not applicable to us based upon whether we like it or not, based upon whether it raises our ire or not? I don't think so. Let the Bible say what it says. Now, the fact that we can't understand or interpret correctly, that's our problem, but it's not the problem of the Scripture. So, so be careful with that. Be careful. 
So some say it has absolutely no application, it's totally cultural, only applied back then. I can't go with that. Number two, others also take it the other way. They say it is literal in their interpretation of literal. And here, here's what they say. Because it is literal, they say that all women must submit to all men. That's not what this is teaching. It's not what it's teaching. It's about husbands and wives, definitely, but not about all women in general and all men in general. But anyway, we'll get to that. They also say that women cannot cut their hair ever. Again, their own literal interpretation. And that women are to wear a head covering or a hat in all public places. So, so where do you fall with this? It's a good question. Where do you stand on all this? I'm, I'm really just baiting you because I want you to understand no disrespect to you, and some of you are smarter than me in the Bible, but I don't really care where you stand. Neither should you care where I stand on these issues. See, even to bring up the subject of what do you think and what do I think calls into question, who told us that what we think matters? It doesn't matter what we think or where we stand. What matters is what God thinks and where God stands. Where do the Scriptures stand? Where do the Scriptures tell us to stand? And then that's what we need to do. If it flies against what I thought, if it flies against the way I was raised, if it flies against the way my culture is, oh well, right? That's where we come up with the correct interpretation. So let's handle the word properly and let, us, let it tell us where to stand. First of all, just some commentary. This requires us to dig deeper. We have to understand what was going on in this day. So say that to say this. First of all, there is certainly some very strong cultural overtones in this passage that we cannot ignore. In fact, that is true everywhere you go in the Scriptures. No, no less true here. The Bible is written in a very specific time period in a very specific culture, which we have to take into account. One of the key elements of correctly interpreting the Scriptures is that whatever interpretation we have or come up with it had to have made sense to the original hearers. Who were the original hearers? Well, the Paul was the original writer, and the Corinthian church was the original hearers. It has to make sense to them first. If my conclusions didn't, wouldn't have made sense to them, then I've not gotten down to what's really going on here. If anything, uh, I've got a wrong interpretation. So it has to have made sense to them. And what Paul was saying made sense to them. So it requires us, to get down to, so what was going on in that culture? And what was happening between men and women? Why is this an issue? Why does it matter? Because he seems to be speaking about things that don't, don't apply in, in our culture, and partly that is true. But partly it isn't. And I'm going to try to bring those out as we go along here. So a couple of things to, to understand that uh, even as far away as it was the first century in Corinth over there in Greece, as far away as that seems, there's in many ways, it wasn't much different than it was today. Number one, it was culturally acceptable in that day for a woman, especially a married woman, to wear a head covering because it made a statement. So, so if a woman was walking out in public with a head covering on, it immediately said, she's either married or she's unavailable. Without a head covering, it's, in a it's at the opposite message. Does that make sense? So, so that may seem like it's a really weird thing, but let me ask you, those who are married, do you wear a wedding ring? Why do you wear a wedding ring? Because it says, I'm unavailable, right? There's mine. 
That's my unavailable mark. I'm unavailable. Likewise, wouldn't it call into question your motives? What, what are you doing if you're going out somewhere taking off your wedding ring? Make sense? See, we're not as culturally different as, they, as, as we think we are. For them, it was, didn't have wedding rings. They, a woman wore a head covering. I'm not sure what happened to men. I don't know if they did anything back then, but a woman definitely said, I'm unavailable by wearing a head covering. We say we're unavailable by wearing a wedding ring. We don't go around with a, uh, I don't know, the, a tattoo of I'm married mark on our forehead or anything like that, but we have some kind of mark. They did the same thing. It's not that different today. It's really not that different. In our culture, here's just some things about head coverings. I mean, just so we think that head coverings don't matter in our culture, and maybe to a certain degree today they don't, but in not too distant past, it was socially unacceptable for a man to walk in a building with his hat on. That was considered rude. The people would have been offended. Likewise, a woman could go into a building with her hat on and nobody was bothered by it. Why, why the difference, right? Well, I don't necessarily know the difference as much as I just simply say this. There are differences. It's not, they're not that different than we are. We still are using these head coverings, maybe not exactly the same way. We're still using them. They still mean something. And let me just say this. What, what's going on in your culture does matter. It may not be a moral thing, but it is something that matters because you and I have a job. And that job is to represent Christ and to communicate Christ to our world. Part of our negotiation of that communication is that we handle ourselves correctly in the culture that we're in. We need to, because of our culture, dress a certain way, act a certain way, behave a certain way, conform to certain norms. Why? Because those things necessarily are biblical? No, they're not. But because life is too short. Ministry is too important. We don't need to be putting stumbling blocks because of how we dress or how we have our hair or how, where we live or et cetera, et cetera, what we drive. I mean, you can just name all kinds of things. Again, the Bible doesn't hold a line on all these things. It just simply says, here's the line. The line is, we represent Jesus. What would Jesus do? So there you go. So number one, it was culturally acceptable on that day for a woman to have her hair covered, basically simply to say, I'm unavailable, just like a wedding ring does. Number two... It was also culturally acceptable and routine for women to wear their hair longer than men. Now, again, it's kind of the same way it is today. Typically, typically, I'm not saying 100%, you'll find women having longer hair than men. Again, it's become, we've kind of crisscrossed in this uh, Gen, in genders to a certain degree, and it doesn't matter so much. I mean, here we are on the island, lots of men have long hair. Of course, lots of women have short hair. Most people don't care because our culture is different. Back then, it mattered more. Uh, if you go back in our culture here in the United States and the state of Texas, go back to my teenage years, just 10 years ago, right? No. <laughs> 50 years ago, 40 years ago for me, uh, my teenage years, long hair and short hair, meant a lot more in my southeast Texas, very conservative environment than it does here on South Padre Island, still in Texas, but, but a different place. So, so it mattered back more then today than it does then than it does today. But nonetheless, it still matters today. The exception was typically women had longer hair than men. The exception to this, especially in the case of the city of Corinth, the city of Corinth was a very corrupt place. Remember, their worship was idolatry, and the main way that they worship was through 
uh, prostitution. That's the, way, that's the way it was. So especially in the case of Corinth, there was an exception to this because uh, for a female prostitute, if a female was a prostitute, I should say, to not wear a head covering and also to shave her head was to proclaim her line of work. So, so she not only would not have her head covered, which says I'm available, she would also shave her head and she would say, I, you know, the oldest world's profession. This is where I work. Come and follow me and uh, we can worship God, quote unquote. So, so do you see the thing? So there is a thing. Today, if you see a woman with short hair, do you think she's a prostitute? No. It's a different culture. But it mattered back then. And so Paul is laying the line down here. He's saying, listen, you're giving the wrong message here. and You and I have a responsibility to, to proclaim Christ. So anyway, back to this. So in the Corinthian church, some women felt it was okay to do away with social norms. We're free in Christ. Uh, and because of our freedom in Christ, they, they did away with their head coverings. And since... All were equal on the side of the Lord. It didn't matter whether they cut their hair, kept their hair long, kept their hair short, uh, as far as they were concerned. All right? We're free in Christ. We don't have to conform to the norms of our culture anymore. My hair is too long. It bothers me. I'm going to cut it off. We don't have to conform to the norms of our culture anymore. The head covering I was wearing makes me too hot. I'm not wearing it anymore. Okay? We are all free in Christ. And there will be no distinction between male and female when we get to heaven. Let me just say this carefully. This is not heaven. Look around. We are still in a culture that has norms. And those norms have to, to a certain degree, direct what we do. We are still controlled by a certain extent by the norms of our culture and have to abide by certain standards in order, hear me, not to cause harm to the cause of Christ. That's the bottom line here. Again, the bottom line, it's great that you're free to cut your hair or not wear a head covering, but the bottom line here is what's most beneficial for the cause of Christ? Life is too short, ministry is too important. If it's better for the cause of Christ for you to keep your hair long, ladies, then may I suggest to you, you should keep your hair long. Would you agree with me? I hope you would. If it's better for the cause of Christ for you to keep your head covered, then you should keep your head covered. And you can switch it the other way. So the culture is so different now that it gives a different message, so it's better to keep your hair short for the cause of Christ. Okay, then cut your hair. To not wear a head covering for the cause of Christ? Okay, well then take your head covering off. Again, the, 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 the baseline question is not what makes me comfortable and what do I want to do and how do I exercise my freedoms? No! Your freedoms have been taken away. You belong to Jesus now. You belong completely to him. What would Jesus have you do with the short life you have and the high responsibility you have to proclaim the message of Christ? That is the baseline question. So, let's just, let me give you another example, and then we're going to move on. So I went to Australia as a summer missionary back in uh, 1997, and I was there for an entire summer. Of course, Australia and American cultures are not that different. We speak English. Uh, they're a commonwealth of England. We were a commonwealth of England until we threw off their, um, their yoke, etc. And anyway, they're similar, we have similar cultures, and yet and speak a sim we speak an identical language to a certain degree, except we use our words differently. 
they, because they were in South Pacific, basically, their language evolved differently than the American language, especially the language here in the South, which is I was just a good old Southern boy from Texas, and we were groups of teenagers, college students, going uh, over to Australia. So they had to rein us in on some of our language. For instance, here's an example. It was common in my language and common today for me to say, oh, what were y'all doing? Oh, we were just piddling around. Ah, we were just piddling around. Does that bother you when me say that? No. Because what does that mean? It communicates to you what does piddle mean in our culture. It means you're just messing around. Nothing, nothing really of any consequence whatsoever going on. That's just a simple way to say that. In their culture, to say you were piddling around meant you were leaving a puddle. You understand? So you couldn't... They had a different application for the same term, same word. Also in their culture... They would use words that in our culture are considered curse words. For instance, the S word, and I'm not going to say it for you, but I'll spell it for you, S-H-I-T, was not considered a curse word in their language. It took me about two weeks till I first heard that word spoken from the pulpit by a pastor. Not just one time. Neither was S-H-I-T a considered a curse word, but D-A-M-N was not considered a curse word either. I heard both of them. Not regularly, but fairly regularly from pulpits and from Christians who I otherwise had a great respect for. But there was a meeting, I was like, I can't believe he said what he just said. It didn't have the same meaning to them. It didn't. Now, I didn't use the words over there because I was not going to live in Australia the rest of my life. And I was coming back to America. Well, that would have mattered. Now, I suppose that same pastor thinking the word doesn't matter to him, comes to the United States and starts using the S word and the D word from the pulpit, is he going to have a problem? Yes, he is. He definitely is. Again, it's a cultural thing. We have to submit ourselves to the culture. So is he free to use the S word and the D word? Yes. Is he free to use it even though it hinders the cause of Christ? No! Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We have to rein ourselves in based on what we dress, what we say, how we act, where we go. For the cause of Christ. It's not about you. It's about them and the responsibilities we have to reach them. So we cannot ignore culture for the sake of the freedom of Christ. Because our goal is to reach people, not to exercise our freedoms. Okay, That's what this passage is really ultimately about. Paul says most of the things he says here, not because of what's going on is immoral, but because of what it was communicating in that culture. There is a definite application for us, albeit our cultures have changed to quite, to quite a great extent. It's a very important principle. Again, we are not just controlled by what is biblically moral. We're also controlled by what is socially acceptable. So I'm not breaking any biblical rules by doing such and such. Yeah, but are you alienating others because it's what you do is socially unacceptable? So you're not really thinking about them. You're actually just thinking about yourself. And you're using the Bible as an excuse to operate as a selfish person. Do not do that. Do not do that. We shouldn't do anything that could be misinterpreted within our power. Obviously, every last person, do we have to bow to every last person? I mean, you can't. You can't poll every person. You have to do what you best can tell will not be misinterpreted. You have to make sure you don't go places that could be misinterpreted. It's, it's within your power. shouldn't wear anything, say anything that could be misinterpreted. Again, what should be the rule of thumb? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus wear? What would Jesus say? 
How would Jesus handle himself? That's what we ought to do. An example, here I am wearing shorts. You notice that? I really like shorts. I do not wearing socks, just wearing sandals because, well, not just because I like that, but because it's also acceptable in our culture. I want you to know something. If it was not acceptable, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't. I came from a church where no one, no man especially, wore shorts outside of his house. For me to go to church or even go out in the area, it was a very conservative area along the border here where I was pastor before, for me to go out in the area in my shorts would have been distracting at the very least. In this culture, to see a man in shorts is just like, like I said, seeing one more seagull. Like, no, I didn't notice that because, yeah, if he was wearing a three-piece suit, I would have noticed that. That would have thought he was weird. Well, it would have been almost the same in the other direction had I worn shorts in that other place. So, so am I free to wear shorts? Yes, but only because it's culturally acceptable in the island culture. There are other cultures where to wear shorts in public is considered morally loose. So do I have a freedom, first of all, in Christ to wear shorts? Is there anything in the Bible about wearing shorts or not wearing shorts? No. But is, is there something in the Bible about me being responsible to the culture that I'm in so that I communicate Christ and put no stumbling block between myself or between them and Christ? Yes. So I need to rein myself in on what I feel like my freedoms are. It's not about my freedoms. It's about their freedom to come to Christ. It is defeating to the cause of Christ for his children to come across as rude, rebellious, or immoral. I'm sorry, it is. So is what you're doing, whether you intended it to be read as rude or rebellious or immoral, is it to be interpreted that way? Well, then stop it. Stop. Stop. You're hurting yourself and you're hurting the cause of Christ. You don't want to do that. So, so, so back, to our, back to our topic. I've been ranting, but we're going to keep the rant here. So, so an unveiled woman in Corinth was symbolic not only of a morally loose person, but she's also symbolic of a person who is in rebellion against her husband. So she's married, but she's going with a head uncovered. It makes a big statement. So, ooh, she and her hubby aren't getting along. It, they would do that. So we've seen a similar thing in our culture, but it was, again, it was a symbol of rebellion. We've seen a similar culture, but in, a, in, in another way, and in the opposite sex. Not too long ago, if a male wanted to show his rebellion to the culture, he wore his hair long. Isn't that right? Whole hippie culture. How did, how did the males rebel? Kept their hair super long. Now anymore, like I said, it doesn't necessarily apply. It doesn't mean anything to see a male with long hair anymore. But in that culture in the 60s, oh boy, did it ever. If they had flipped it and said, well, the way to rebel is to go super short, well, they'd all shave their heads. Now it's interesting. I find it interesting, just observation. We see the opposite as well in most radical feminist groups, these women with shaved heads. So why are they saying that? Again, it's, it's a matter of rebellion. It's a statement that they're trying to make. In Corinthian days, an unveiled woman or a head, woman with her hair short was considered rebellion. She was a rebellion against her husband. That's the way it was interpreted, whether she intended it or not. Irrelevant. It was interpreted that way. So consider, let's consider God's order of things. We've been at this for a while. This is a thick passage. You can't just, just come in here and just lay down a few 
things and just say, okay, we're done. Now we, we've got to uncover here, and we're continuing to uncover. Let's consider, again, God's order of things. I'm not interested in your opinion, nor should you be interested in mine. We, are, we should be very much interested in God's opinion. And here's what God says is the order. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Of course, he's the head of every woman as well. But in, in this particular case, he's speaking of the relationship between a husband and wife, even though it says man and woman here, but he's talking about married couple. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every husband. We can say it that way. And of course, that's male. You have to say that anymore any, either. Isn't it crazy? I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every husband and that the husband is the head of the wife. And God is the head of Christ. So he's given you chain of command here. Here's the chain of command. This is what it is. So in a team, so if you think about the, first of all, let's go to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're a team, the Trinity, if you will. But even within the team, there has to be a head. Who's the head? It's the Father. Now, is there inequality within the team? Of course there's not. They're all three God. In fact, they take all three to be God. The Trinity, right? But even in this Trinity team, there is a head. In this case, it's the Father. Likewise, the Father, the team, I'm sorry, the whole team, has established for another team that represents them here on earth, and that would be the team of the husband and wife. They are a team. They are equal players. They play different roles, though. Deal with it. They do. Not all the roles of the male can the female play. If you're crying out loud, the male can't play all the roles of a female. Who wants to have a child? Gentlemen. Who wants to play their roles? And let me just say something to you ladies carefully. You don't want to play our role either. Many, many think, well, I'm, you know, the wife could do the role of a husband. and You don't want to play that role. Not the way God has assigned it. Again, we've gone through this in previous chapter 7, and you can refer to those studies back there, but I'm going to briefly cover it right now. So there's a designated leader in a team. We don't get to decide who that leader is, because God is the one that created the team. God has designated that the husband, the male, in the team of the husband and wife, that he is the head. He's the team leader if you will. God is designated in that way. So let me just speak to you husbands out there, you heads, you leaders. Headship is leadership. Headship means we go first. The way it's been interpreted in our culture is, yeah, I go first. I sit at the table and she serves me and she puts my slippers on and she makes sure the house is clean and she does everything I tell her to do and that's the way I go first. And you didn't get that from the Bible. Stop doing that. Stop saying, okay, you run, run your house however you want to. Okay, I'm not going to weigh into that. I'll just simply say that. Stop blaming the Bible for it. Stop it. Headship is leadership. It does mean we go first. Here's how we go first. Pay attention. We go first. We should be the first at giving ourselves up for our spouses. That's how you lead. Be the leader by being the servant. Lead out in it. The first to give yourselves up for our spouses. We should be leading out. We should be the first to be holy and practicing spiritual disciplines. First. Sir, you should be first on those things. We're to be first, husbands. 
in setting the example of righteousness and leading the way to heaven for our entire family. Yes, be first in those things. Be first. Headship, listen, is not privilege. Headship is responsibility. It's responsibility back to you ladies. You don't want that. That's heavy, speaking as a husband. It's heavy. Because when things go wrong in the home, God comes looking to your husband. Comes looking at him. And you may say, well, I'll be willing to put up with it. Yeah, you won't like it very long. I can promise you that. Headship is not privilege. It's responsibility. Back to verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and that the man is the head of a woman and the woman, if you will, the head of every husband and the husband is the head of the wife and God is the head of Christ. And this is not an issue of superiority or inferiority, not any less than, than the father is superior to the son or vice versa. No, it's not inferiority. It's not, it's not superiority. It's got none of that. It's just, a or, it's just order. In a team, there has to be a leader. And if there isn't a leader, there's confusion. So this whole we have to be equal in every, in every way and all this, you know, a lot of it is baloney, is leading to tremendous confusion. God has delivered us from confusion and we need to follow his order of things. From the beginning, the Bible makes it clear that the sexes were equal, but they serve different roles. They're not the same. Men and women are not. They're just not. Quit trying to make them that way. Let them be who they are. The man was created first, and so he is the head. The woman was created to complete the man, and they together are together, are mankind, are man, as the Scripture tells us in Genesis. Again, we we discussed this at length in chapter 7. That is why Paul says that a woman is the glory of man. Why? Because he's completed by her. He was first. She makes him beautiful. It's a tough job, ladies, I know. She makes him look smart. She keeps him out of trouble. It's a tough job. It is. It really is. Men need a lot of help. They just do. Any honest man, any humble man be willing to admit it. Uh, You need to get there, sir. Verse 4, back to the head coverings. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. So which head is he talking about? So every man who has something on his head, covering, disgraces his head. He's not talking about his cabeza. He's talking about the head, God. Since he submits to no authority on earth and only to God for him to cover his head, it's basically saying the opposite. I'm submitting to some other authority here. Paul says, don't you dare do that. That's the way it was interpreted in their culture. Head coverings were a symbol of authority in that culture. And since men were under no earthly authority, they wore no head covering. The opposite was true for the woman. Verse 5. Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying and prophesying, again, this is a church setting or a public setting, if her head, for she dishonors, she disgraces her head, for she is one and the same with one who's had her head shaved. So the woman was, is subject, as opposed to the man, is subject to an earthly authority, namely her husband. Not to all men, but definitely to her husband. And in that culture, she needed to wear a head covering to honor that rule because that's the way they saw it. You see a woman today without her head covering, you think she's in rebellion against her husband? No. It's a different culture. It's a different culture. 
In that culture, to wear a head covering meant you didn't believe your husband was the head, and thus you were not subject to God's created order. And that is not a message you wanted to send. And that's why Paul has an issue with it. You're sending the wrong message in claiming your freedom in Christ. You're actually sending out a message that you're against God's created order. Not a good message. Confusing, to be sure. Again, what's the bottom line? That we lead people to Christ. That we make sure we put no stumbling blocks in front of them. And if the culture says, i got to wear a head covering in order for that to get done better, well, then that's what I need to do. All right? Again, it is... Is it immoral for a woman to go without a head covering today? Of course not. It's not a part of the Ten Commandments. It's not a part of the commandments of the Scriptures. Of course it isn't. It was for them because it was a cultural issue. But it's not for us because it's not a cultural issue. In our culture, again, do we see a woman without a head covering as a loose or rebellious woman? No. No. No, we don't. Our culture is different. But in the Corinthian culture, regardless of what was meant by not wearing a head covering, what was interpreted was that woman was a rebellious toward her husband, she was loose morally, and she was available. Is that a message you wanted to send as a woman? No. Paul's saying, don't do that. The cultural norms do him you in. Because why? I can just live however I want to. No, Jesus bought you so that you could live for him. And you can communicate an honest gospel without a stumbling block to the world. So be careful. What your actions say. Well, it's not what I meant for them to say. Okay, all right. So the road to hell, as they say, is paved with good intentions, right? So be careful whether your intentions are good or not. Make sure you weigh them based upon our culture. Be careful what your actions say. Be careful what your dress says. Well, that's not what I meant by dressing like that. Well, can you think outside of yourself and not be selfish? You know, it's just what you wanted to wear. Can you not look at the world and say, you know, what's best for them? And what's best for the gospel? Be careful how you actions. Be careful how you dress, be careful where you go. These all say something about you and reflect directly upon Jesus who has saved you and me. That's, again, the bottom line. Jesus has saved me, sent me to a world. Is this going to be helpful to that? Or is this going to hinder that? And I've got to ask the questions about all, most of my decisions every single day. And the culture that I'm in today, is it okay to dress like that? Is it okay to go places like that? Is it okay to use certain language or certain things like that? Well, you know, the Bible doesn't weigh in on those, every one of those specific things, but it does put a broad general perspective of saying, listen, what's most important here is that we communicate an unhindered message of the gospel to our world. No stumbling blocks. Whatever is required to accomplish that is what you and I need to do. So we're going to stop right there. We could discuss a lot more. Many, many more examples, so many cultural norms and issues. But again, the bottom line is, what's most important for the short life I live and the eternal gospel and the eternal souls of men that I'm trying to reach? So let's pray together. God, I thank you for teaching us. I thank you for your word, which is eternal. Even though cultures change, circumstances change, 
the application, the broad application is still there. We need to hear it every single day. Thank you, God, for teaching us. Thank you, God, for reigning us in if we needed that. Thank you, God, for freeing us up if we needed that. Help us, God, not to fall to these extremes of being over-interpreting something or under-interpreting something, but help us, God, to come back to you and say, God, what is it that you're saying to me today in the world that I live in today? And as we hear from you, be obedient to you. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.